0: And ultimately our prayer is for peace and to be people of peace, to be these ones that embody the Sermon on the Mount. In uh, peaceful ways, and we are longing and holding on as we remember those that have gone before us. To uh, this week, we also long for heaven to be re- reunited with earth. We long for swords to be and guns to be melted into pl- plowshares, and for the kingdom of God to come and enact this way of peace. And I just want to encourage us: this is our future. This is our one. Our hope. Our hope is Jesus, the person and work of Jesus, but. Jesus is not disconnected from the kingdom that he's bringing. And so I think we can talk about both those things. Jesus the person, the savior of the world, as we've sung about and, and really rallied around this morning in our songs, but also the kingdom that he's bringing, which is peace, which is righteousness and justice. And obviously we work for these things now in the here and now in this moment, for sure we do this. But uh, more importantly, I mean, well, not more importantly, as, as we work for those things, we also just hold on to the hope that a better day is coming from everything that we see going on around us. And so we lean into that, which is great. Again, it's so great to be together. Uh, our hope isn't to be too long this morning. We're gonna continue our series, Dear Warmwood, but we have a new segment, so let's do it again. If you wanna take five seconds and turn on your camera and wave to everybody, give everybody a wave, say what's up, can we do this? A few, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. There's a few people out there. I see Tim and his PJs. No, he's got his coffee, which is good, it's good. We got a few people, all right, all right. There's a few waves out there as always what a there's some there's some hand waves what a what a unique time obviously we're in and i don't want to just continue to reiterate every week but one of the things we really wanted to do is be grounded in this season at least in times together so it's good to see you all' Honestly, there's part of us that grieves that we're not in the same building, in the same room, and uh, we're going to bring you up to speed over the next little while of maybe some things. Hopefully, we're going to get our feet wet as we um, feet wet with as we kind of move towards the next season. But we also, at the same time, want to be cautious of all that's uh, going on. And we know we're in a in a pandemic. We want to we're very aware of that, obviously, but want to make the best decisions moving forward. So this is it for now. But honestly. Um, I don't know where you are out there, Kathy Carino and Jill and some of you guys that help with host, the hospitality stuff. But um, uh, t-shirt gun machine, balloons, uh, disco ball. The, when we can get back to reality, it's going to be a party. I'm going I want a gun that like shoots confetti or something, something, something over the top, just to just to get us back together. But it's good to see, uh, good to see your faces. With all that said, though, uh, please open in your Bible with me just for a couple minutes to John chapter thirteen to John chapter 13. Now, uh, really quickly, I know because week to week, sometimes there's uh, some of you that join us uh, that are maybe you're a little newer. Um, we are in a series right now called Dear Wormwood based off uh, SCS Lewis masterpiece, The Screwtape Letters. And it's this amazing satirical book, it's satire where Lewis writes, um, and basically what it is, it's a senior demon named Screwtape writing a junior demon named Wormwood a bunch of letters and how they're going to work together to deceive the human or what we know as the patient, a follower of Jesus. And the ultimate goal is to suck the human or the follower of Jesus, the patient, away from God, away from the kingdom, to subtly and slowly kind of lure him or her away. And so one of the things we've been looking at is the devil, the Satan, the powers and principalities, all of these things. And uh, just looking at how spiritual warfare and spiritual beings play in our story here right now as Christians, in our moment, in our time, especially in all that we see in 2020. And so here's what Screwtape writes Wormwood about the church. We're going to focus in a little bit about the church because there's these little subtle words that Screwtape uses, and this is what he writes Wormwood. We're going to throw it up. Screwtape says this. He says, We want the church to be small, not only that fewer men may know the enemy, but also that those who do may acquire the uneasy intensity and the defensive self-righteousness of a secret society or a clique. The church herself is, he says, of course— heavily defended, and we have never yet quite succeeded in giving her all the characteristics of a faction, but subordinate factions within her have often produced admirable results. Now, ultimately, what Screwtape is saying here to Wormwood is here's what we want to do. When it comes to the patient and when it comes to their ideas about the church, we want the patient or the Christian to be small-minded, We want, really, we're okay with the church kind of doing their little thing, but what we want to do is we want to keep them small, and we want to keep this community kind of grounded in one thing. We want them to only care about themselves. Ultimately, what Screwtape wants, and what he's trying to get Wormwood to deceive the human in, is we want to keep this thing small, and we ultimately want the church to be postured not towards the world, but towards themselves. We want it to slowly creep in that there's not this openness to the world around them to be love and light. And I think this is a subtle little way in which actually the enemy wants to work within the church. And obviously there's tension here between building a strong community. You know, ultimately one of the things we want to do is we want to build a strong community here. It is true that sometimes the church can be a mile wide, but only an inch deep. You've probably heard that classic phrase, but there's some truth there. And so we're, we've been just asking questions. How do we remain to be a strong community together while at the same time being postured the world? Like, can we have both of these things working together? Can we avoid what Screwtape is writing to Wormwood in this idea of kind of being small and into ourselves? But could we become a community that is living in the tension of being fully integrated with each other, but also having our hearts postured to the world? Because at times, this can be lacking within the church. Again, it's so easy to get so comfortable, and I think this is what the adversary, the Satan wants, that we don't think about the world around us. And again, there's tension because if you read the early church and about the early church, and if you know some of my reading over the last bunch of years, what set the world on fire with the gospel was a church that was really committed to each other. At times, they didn't even meet in public because of persecution around them. And so there was this depth to them that we want deeply, you know, we want as a community uh, in everything that we do, but how do we remain open? You know, one of the words that Screwtape uses here is subordinate fact- fractions, that one of the ways the enemy or the Satan wants to get in is to slowly kind of work at factions within the community. And so Screwtape, this is kind of the plan, is let's work on them. And it's interesting here, again, just to show that I, I, for followers of Jesus, I'm not sure that the Satan or the adversary is out to make us all Satanists. As much as it's almost that it's more dangerous for the church to be together and small-minded and not thinking about the world around them. I actually think the adversary, the enemy, would much rather have that than, I'm I'm sure he would love to have us all as Satanists. But, you know, you get what I'm saying? I think, actually, what could be more dangerous to the reputation of King Jesus is a church that's closed off in its witness to the world. And so we need to think deep about these things and these kind of tactics. So you hear what Screwtape is saying to Wormwood, and then you get to Jesus. Look at John 13. This is what Jesus says. He says this, A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says this, By this, by this love, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is clear as he's heading to the cross that the representation to the world is going to be these disciples that love and care and show and express love to one another. That this is, Jesus really, his ultimate burden and passion is that his disciples would show the world through love. You flip a couple books over to Hebrews We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is, but in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer says this, verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and towards good deeds." Not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Because of the work of the great high priest Jesus who is the king now this call is to love and to serve and anticipate this day when Jesus will renew all things. And ultimately I think the call is is really to participate in the life of God's people. Over and over there's this call to each other. Really you can't One of the things we've been talking about the last few years is you really can't separate reading the scriptures, which was always done in community. You know, this idea of having individual Bibles in our hands is such a new concept. It's so new to us. If you were in the first century, typically you'd have to go to a home church and a letter would be written. And that letter now, many of those letters are in the Bible that we have But because of this individualism, we often lose the idea that there was this togetherness, this being together, to sharing the scriptures, to sharing bread and wine together, that it was a collective community together that Jesus is bringing together. The great high priest bringing us together. Now, one of the things I just want to drill down on, this is kind of going to be simple this morning, but one of the things I want to drill down on is you know Screwtape writes Wormwood, C.S. Lewis does this brilliantly about this church not being small or small-minded and watching out for division. But I've been thinking a lot this week just about what Screwtape would write Wormwood today in 2020. Like if C.S. Lewis was here and he was writing uh, this again or adding to it if he added to the 31 letters and he was to write another letter from Screwtape to Wormwood about the church what would be the kind of deception or lies that he would lead uh, in his writing in 2020 today? And I just want to look at a couple of these things. I mean, the, the scriptures are clear here and in the instruction for us to be a community that lives under the rule and reign of Jesus. But what does the adversary want to do in our time when it comes to the church? There's just a couple of things, a couple of lies that I just want us to be aware of. Because one of the things I think we need to do is we need to be spiritually discerning around the ways in which the adversary kind of wants to come at us and come at the church. So I was playing hockey this week. Here's a hockey illustration, sports illustration. I know some of you are just gone, but playing hockey this week and we were playing a team who had this kid on it who has played super high levels like junior and semi-pro hockey. And so we knew he was on the other team. And one of the things we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that somebody was always on him. Before the game started, we wanted to make sure Okay, this is the dude. We've got to watch him. He's dangerous to us and of course he tore it up. We couldn't stop him, but that's not that's not for what we're gonna talk about here. We we want to make sure that the adversary is not moving and working in our communities. But in the the sports context, uh, it was just interesting to get a ground game going of how we're gonna approach this. And I think it's important to put some of the lies before us just in how we're to live as a community. Here's one big lie I think right now for the church in its moment and it's this. The lie that the church doesn't matter. I think if Screwtape were to write Wormwood today, I think one of the things he would petition Wormwood to do is to deceive the Christian that the church doesn't matter in its moment. That this doesn't matter. What we're doing here today, even though it's unique and virtual and all that, but even just in the sense of the church being together, there would be this deception that the church doesn't matter. And, you know, obviously, COVID is spreading across the world. There's this global pandemic. But I'd also say there's probably another disease or virus spreading. And it's this virus called individualitis. It's not a real thing. I've made it up, okay? But I think about how much has shifted in the Western church and how it's so easy for individualitis to kind of creep into the way in which we live and move. You know, this idea that I can have God But I don't have to have others. I don't need people. I can have God on my own, in my own place, in my own time. We often use this term, my personal relationship with Jesus. And certainly there's elements of that. But it's so interesting when you actually look at the scriptures and what the scriptures lead us to. It very much leads us to a corporate relationship with King Jesus. And so there's been huge shifts, especially in a postmodern and now what we would probably call in our context a post-church world To buy into this lie that church doesn't matter. You know, what we do week in and week out, what we do as a community does not matter. And then you have to wrestle with the Bible. You know, Ephesians 2, Paul gives a clear picture that one of the things that the church is, it's actually the hosting place for the presence of God that the church is actually, the language that the Bible uses is the temple of God. Now think about it, in the beginning, God's temple was heaven and earth together. The garden, heaven and earth were together. Sin and rebellion rips that at its seams. And so in the Old Testament, if you know the story, they have brick and mortar. They have this massive structure where people would go to worship and they would go to make sacrifice. And so that's where in the Holy of Holies, uh, the presence of God was, that's destroyed and exiled. Jesus gets on the scene and literally the term for Jesus is that Jesus came and tabernacled among them, that he was the temple of God in flesh and blood. But then he also, the story evolves, like chronologically the story evolves and we get to a point where Jesus ascends to heaven at ascension and says to the church, says to his disciples, you now are the ones that will go and when the continual language over and over is that when you gather together, you're the place where God dwells. I would say this, I would say, obviously God's presence is dripping on the four corners of the earth, God is here by his Spirit, but I would say that if the church is not gathered together and practicing together then there's nowhere for him to dwell. We are the place in which God dwells and there's this language of us being the temple and the body in this new community in which God dwells in and so this is why there's pain right now and there's grieving when we can't be together because it doesn't matter how big or small a church community is, this is where God dwells. Like when we're together, we are the place in which God moves and works. And I just gotta be honest, there's a lot of Western people that are just not bought into that. It's what can church do for me or what can God do for me in my personal relationship and yet over and over, the scriptures are pushing us to, it's when you're together in which God dwells. Fantastic, you have a personal relationship because Jesus made a way, that's amazing. But what about this corporate identity? What about this corporate way in which God dwells within us? Then you get to Ephesians 3, and Paul basically says this whole church thing is a mystery. Anybody with me? You're like, yeah, I feel that once in a while. And he says this, the church actually reveals the manifold wisdom of God. That the church in some unique way is a mystery, and it reveals to the world who God is. Basically what Paul is saying is how will the world know who God is without the church putting the kingdom of God on display? How will they know? Uh, Crazy. If I were to do it, I would totally do it different. If I were God, I'd totally do it different. But it's kind of true like I know myself and I know other people to think that God would use a community of people to reveal the mysteries to the world to be this community of people that puts on displays God kingdom I would probably choose other ways if I was God I'd probably just do it all on my own but this is not the story from the beginning that this church the church the community plays a part in. And not just gathering to sing songs and hear sermons and do some of the things that we do, though that's important, but it is to put on display God's love and kingdom to the world. And how many people don't even really know that? Again, this personal side, this personal relationship side with God, but have we lost the weight? And have we bought into the lie that what we do doesn't matter? Because I'll often hear this. I'll hear people say, come on, man. Like, this has been the deconstruction of the last decade or more. Come on. It's just a few songs. It's a guy speaking or talking. It's like an hour. Like, what are we really missing? What are we really missing if we just kind of don't do this whole church thing? It's interesting. I mean, these are questions I think we need to wrestle through. You know, I think about, well, here's the thing. I think about this. I've kind of joined and got into a cult the last number of years. Just want to come clean. Kind of a part of a cult right now. You're like, what? My pastor, a part of a cult. Let me just come clean. That I have slowly over the last number of years got uh, sucked into this thing called the, called the cult of youth sports. Anybody? Anybody else with me out there? And I am, like, sucked in a little bit to this whole reality of my kids who play hockey. And I love it. I absolutely love it. But I got thinking, you know, we ask questions like, does it really matter? And, like, what, you know, does this whole what we do week in and week out really matter? And I got thinking, you know, in the cult of youth sports, I could not imagine myself going to my kids' hockey coaches and asking them, you know, does this whole practice thing, like... You know, especially during COVID where all they can do is practice. They can't even scrimmage. Is this whole practice thing actually like really, really mad? Like what are we missing if you know, we just show up here and there when we want to and kind of show up when we want and maybe a game here or there? They would look at me and laugh. Because in the cult of youth sports, we know that every practice, every drill, and I'm in on this, man. I coach and help the little guys. I'm in on this. Everything, every edge that you work on, it matters. And it's funny to me how we all know that with different elements in our life. But when it comes to the church, it's so easy to buy into the lie that what we do in day in and day out and week in and week out matters. I believe it matters. And I'll just say that I, I think the church in the West, you know, there's lots of talk, especially from certain religious groups, that the church in the West is under attack. Here's the thing: I don't think the West the church in the West is under attack as much as much as it is under neglect. I'm not sure we're under attack as much as we are under neglect. And there, let's come clean. There is an adversary working over time to get us to buy into the lie. That the church doesn't matter. Screwtype writes to Wormwood: Hey, keep them small, keep them small-minded, let there be division. But I think if he were to write today, he would look at the landscape in the Western world and go, "This is this is exactly it. Make them think that what they do in week in and week out is not important. It doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scale of our lives." But I'll say this: the second thing, if there's the lie that church doesn't matter, then I'll also say that there's probably the lie right now in our moments. The lie of an ideal community. Oh yeah. The lie of an ideal church community. Can you buckle up with me? Let's go here. Because I think we really need to talk about this. The lie that even I buy in sometimes to this ideal church community that I build in my mind. You know, right now we're in a moment, you know this, with social media and the interwebs and everything that's going on. That we get to see everything. You can see everybody's lives at every moment. You can see what every church community is doing everywhere. Let's be honest. The websites make it look really good, and to be, and if we're really honest, let's be, let's be honest. Only the best gets put on, right? The filtered photos, the best we present ourselves, and we do this as a community too. Like there's no secret about this. It's not like we're putting up um, photos of bad things that are happening, or you know, we just we put our best foot forward, obviously. And with this can come. Uh, uh, an understanding that, and we can build this in our minds, I do this too, with this can come an idea that there's an ideal community or an ideal church out there. You know, with the rise of social media and the internet, um, I was even talking to a guy, we've been doing some renovations here outside the last number of months, and I was talking to a guy who found out I was a pastor, and he said to me right away, oh, cool, cool, Uh, and he said, I go to a church, and I forget where it was, I think he said Vancouver or Edmonton or something, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I go to a church in Edmonton or Vancouver, This is a guy living in London, Ontario, who says, Hey, you know, like I I go to a church in the West Coast. And basically what he was saying is on a Wednesday afternoon, I put on a podcast somewhere else. And that is my church. And what can creep in is forming and shaping in our head with all the pixels, the flittering pixels flying before us where we see uh, photos and video of everything around us. It's really easy to build a case for an ideal community. There's a guy named Diedrich Bonhoeffer who really addressed this, and I think what he says is more pertinent than ever. So interesting. Bonhoeffer, I got a chance actually through a course to study his life. An amazing guy, a theologian in the 20th century, who was in Germany during the rise of Hitler and the Nazi regime, and for part of it, kind of being under persecution. Uh, Bonhoeffer started like an underground seminary where it was a small group of students where they all lived together did life together and really trained in the scriptures and life together and an amazing story and so he writes about this danger of an ideal community this is what he says please listen this is just lean into this he says those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself becomes destroyers of that Christian community even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Do you hear what he's saying? My dream of the community, of the Christian community, if it's more than the Christian community itself, it can actually become a destroyer of that community. I've actually, we've seen this. The ideal, the vision in my mind of what I want the community to be can overtake what the actual community is. He goes on and says this, Pretty strong language here. He says, God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of an idealized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands, set up their own law, and judge one another, and even judge God accordingly. And this is, this is hard because as I look at this and what Bonhoeffer is saying, like 50, 60, 70, how many ever years ago it was, I look at my own life and think I can do this in my own brain. I can put, put kind of an ideal community in my head and often at times neglect the community that I'm actually a part of. And I've noticed over the years being a part of different churches that it is easy to speak And have church speak and talk about church and the vision of the church and where we should be going. And that's all good. That's not all bad. But it's easy to have church speak, but then not actually be a part of the community in reality and in real time. I think what Bonhoeffer is actually saying here is that the church that we want becomes the enemy of the church that we have. The church that we want can often become the enemy of the church that we have. Now, let me just lean in here. We're almost done, I promise. But please lean in with me. Let me bring a little reality and a little truth to this whole thing, okay? Because I do think the adversary, the, the Satan wants us to have all these ideals in our head and to be unfulfilled. But let me let you in on a little secret. Ready? There is no ideal community. In the virtual world, let's just say that together. Can you just say that with me? There is no ideal community. And this is something that we're not overly honest about. There is no ideal community. It is easy to place in our minds and our hearts um, what we want as the ideal community. And I think what Bonhoeffer is saying here is be very careful to create a mirage in our head when you have reality all around you. And I've I've seen and experienced this. You know, I was a part of a a church uh, a number of years ago. Such, Such a great moment, great year in my life where I went and kind of was a part of a college and did a little internship thing. And this was a globally known church around the world. It was a fantastic time. Absolutely changed my life. But it's interesting. There was this ideal. It was this ideal community. People from around the world looked at its music and its gatherings and everything that this church provided as this amazing place. And it was interesting then to go and be a part of it and realize, you know what? This is just ordinary people. This is just a regular community of people. And sometimes we can make an ideal in our head or kind of have a vision in our head of what something is. But at the end of the day, I think it's just kind of church. It's church. And we have to guard ourselves from taking a posture that puts the ideal in our head when we have reality around us. You know, I had a friend a number of months ago, I guess it was a couple of years ago now, and was moving to a new city. And this friend was looking for a new church. He's a Christian. And so I had another friend say to him, here's what you need to do, man. You need to go to this really cool new church plant. Um, there's this new organization that's planting a church here in another city, and you should really go here. And my one friend told the other friend, you need to go here because they have a big vision. Big vision. And so my friend was like, "Well, okay, I'll go check it out. And so he went, and I was talking to him after he had kind of engaged this particular church and and going, and he said, Drew, you know, like it it was a good time. It was great. I mean, what they're doing is great, but he got reflecting on the idea that the church had a big vision and maybe the idol of a big vision because he said, you know what, Drew, I went, and to be honest, they were basically doing everything else that everybody else was doing. They had music. They had somebody teach and speak. They had time to connect. It wasn't like this earth shattering thing. It's kind of like what everybody else is doing. And his thought was, and I just, it's really stuck with me that that's okay. That instead of trying to be this extraordinary thing and trying to build ideals in our minds, he was like, man, you know, outside of the lights that were maybe a little brighter or the music that was a little louder, and the guy who was talking had a leather jacket and skinny pants, and I'm all for the skinny jeans. That's my preferred, you, you know, this, all right? I'm all for that stuff. That's fine. But he said, you know what? It's just interesting that the ideals that we can make in our mind about a place, when in reality, it was just what everybody else is doing in an ordinary community together. Mm -hmm. And I actually think this is what we need. We need a little bit of ordinary. We need to caution ourselves from this ideal that would say that we're something that we're not. And we need to begin to love the people in real time around us. And I do think... The enemy, if Screwtape was writing Wormwood, I I think this would be their strategy. Get people just to look around, see everything that's available, see the greener grass. And I'm not just talking about people in churches. I'm talking about pastors too. This happens with pastors. I see it all the time with friends. I'll go to a church community and it's built to be this next and greatest thing. You're kind of climbing the ladder. There's more people and more budget. And then over time, you realize it's just, it's church. It's who we are. Let's not idolize our vision or what we think we can do. Let's be careful to be rooted in the reality that what we have before us is people in relationships, which is real. And I think this is for all of us. We need, if Screwtape was to write Wormwood, I think he would get us to look around and build an ideal church in our heads. And I'm just here to tell you, there is no ideal church. I mean, this is our, this is our, even our story. You know, 10 years ago, we started and, People would see the website or our invite cards and they would come and they'd be like, man, we've heard about this. We've heard about what you're doing. And anytime anybody said that, I was like, oh, dear, like, Lord, help this person. Because the reality is we're just ordinary people and we have to watch the lie of an ideal church. Joseph Beach, he puts it like this. He says to be a Christian is to be in Christ. To be in Christ is to be in the body of Christ and to be in the body of Christ is to be in an actual ordinary church family. To be in the body of Christ is to be in an actual ordinary church family. You're not going to hear this a lot of places. One of the things I hope for our community is to not live into the lie of being ideal but live into who we are which is an ordinary community of people practicing the way of Jesus together. And uh, I think the tension can be churches can set themselves up in these lies and then we just become disappointing. And I think truth from the onset of who we are is so so important. Anybody out there? Anybody with me? Hopefully you are. I know you're out there in virtual land somewhere. Now to close Many of us wrestle through this question and we're going to break down into groups for two minutes in just a second and kind of close our time together. And maybe you want to take, maybe one or two of you want to take a couple seconds just to talk about this. Because this is the question I think that it comes up a lot right now for those of us in the Canadian church with all sorts of things pulling our attention. And the question is, is it worth it? Is, is this whole, like, I get it, man. Is this whole thing worth it? Is the, the weekly participation, is being involved in other people's lives? I mean, we have the internet. We have a church in Vancouver or Edmonton or Halifax. Like why can't that just be it? Like just check in with that. Is this the whole thing of being in flesh and blood community really worth it? Let me just say this. The journey for me has not always been easy. I'm introverted. At times I'm even seeing as I get older and I have all this self-reflection that sometimes I'm an individual at times. And even growing up in a pastor's home, I've experienced the, a gamut of emotions and experiences of being a part of the church. I've been there. I always joke, and you've heard this before, I was born, and three days later, I did not raise from the dead, but I've been on the front pew ever since. And I get it. If you ask some of the questions, is it worth it? I have been in the annual church business meeting from hell. I've been there. Some of you are like, not you're like, man, you're, if I'm triggering anybody, I apologize. But I've been there. I've seen people over the years, do some pretty gnarly things in the name of Jesus with so many people resolved that they are right, no matter what the cost was to the community, to people around them. They were right. There's no, I mean, no thinking of the cost. They are right and they're right. You know, I've experienced the pain of people disappearing from community without any explanation. I've been through the ups and downs of the weird stuff of the charismatic movement. I've been told by others that God had told them that I was going to go be a missionary in this place and that. I've had people tell me I'm going to, by God, they had heard that I'm going to marry this person or that and thank the Lord. Heather, I know you're out there but just thank the Lord that, yeah, thank the Lord that this has worked out really well. That I didn't listen to those. Anyways. And while you could probably, listen, you could probably write a book too about your weird experiences in the church. Along the way, I've just had to wrestle through the things that I've also seen, like the beauty of when the church lives under the rule and reign of King Jesus and practices the way of Jesus together. And this week, I was just thinking, in the last number of years, last few years, I've seen people set free and enter into a committed relationship with Jesus. I've seen the least of these cared for. It's been unbelievable. Cold cups of water and millennials serving senior citizens. I've seen people give lavishly to help others who've lost babies at birth. I've seen people assist people who have absolutely nothing and help these people settle into our community with first and uh, last month's rent. Furniture. I've seen people in our community show up at people who have nothing and fill their fridge with food from top to bottom. And I've seen an entire church community over the last number of years walk with people going through cancer treatments and other sicknesses and illnesses. You know, even this weekend, one of the things I get to kind of sit in the chair is kind of leading this community. I've seen firsthand our church support others who are struggling. And even this afternoon, you know, a dozen of us or more are going to go and we're just going to open our lives up together. We're going to serve meals to the marginalized in our community. We're going to do this. We're going to open up our lives to the city. I have all that. I also live in the reality, like many of you, that almost every morning throughout the week, pre-COVID, my kids would come and ask me, is it Sunday? They would ask me every day, is it community dinner night where our house is filled with people eating and celebrating together? And even right now, my five-year-old every day asking, when is corona over? Because he wants to be with the church. They love the church, like many of your kids do. And they're surrounded by a community of people that are not just friends, but have become family, a true picture of what the church should be. And so my point, my friends, in all of this, all of this talk is one, we need to be careful of buying into the lie that what we do doesn't matter. And we have to be careful of the lie that there's an ideal church out there. But also say this, I've seen some disappointing things along my road, and I'm imperfect too. I've pro- I know I've disappointed others. But I've also seen glimpses of heaven as the church works together in unity. And for those of you that have kind of stuck with it, you're in our community and you've stuck with it throughout the years, my prayer for you, honestly, is to keep going. It's just to keep pursuing Jesus in community. It's not rocket science. It doesn't have to be ideal. It can just be reality. Instead of a ton of church speak, maybe we can just be a community that leaves, uh, lives this out as a community together. And so I believe that as we ask the question, is it worth it? We would continue to see that God's design for life is the kingdom and the church. And without reluctance, if somebody were to ask me to say, is it worth it? I would say, amongst everything I've seen, absolutely yes. Be careful of the lies and live into the way of Jesus and your brothers and sisters around.